We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And away we go, episode 154 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, September 28th, 2021, the day after a thrashing of interest to us as Washington football team fans on Monday Night Football. The Dallas Cowboys, now 2-1, and one, a 41-21, smashing of the Philadelphia Eagles, who now are one and two. You see, Washington wasn't the only NFC East team that gave up 40-plus points in week three. Uh, But man, the Cowboys did look good. You've got to give the Devils their due. Cowboys look good. Dak Prescott, 21-26 for 238 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Dak now this season, a completion percentage of 77.5%. That's the second highest completion percentage for a quarterback with at least 100 pass attempts through three games in a season in the Super Bowl era. Drew Brees, 2018 season, had a completion percentage of 80.6 through three games. But that's it in terms of the best completion percentages for quarterbacks, each with at least 100 pass attempts through three games in a season. Dacky Dak looks like he's back. He's been great. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard on Monday night. They combined for 28 carries for 155 yards and two touchdowns. Things are going well for the Cowboys. Uh, Things, of course, did not go well for our team, the Washington football team on Sunday. Coming up on the show, much more fallout from and analysis of the 43-21 loss at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon. Next segment, we're going to talk Washington football team defense. Why is this defense so bad? As the great philosopher Robert Griffin III told us years ago, know your why. What is the why behind the extreme struggles of Washington's defense so far this season? Also, we're going to talk Chase Young. Uh, What kind of a season truly 
is Chase Young having? Ron Rivera addressed that and much more at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday. Also from Ron at the presser was him saying that he wants Taylor Heineke to be more of a game manager. Ah, there's that phrase again. Game manager. Always a controversial phrase regarding quarterbacks. What exactly was Ron saying? Can slash will Taylor Heineke be more of a game manager? I'll talk Taylor Heineke in a bit. The Wizards, uh, they on Tuesday are beginning training camp. Uh, This off a wild Monday that included a major reveal regarding Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal and Beal at Wizards Media Day asking reporters about why they got vaccinated for COVID-19. Yeah, could there be a more perfect way to begin Wizards season than with those items? The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, I will discuss our lovable, huggable Wizards later on in the show. And I'll get into the Nationals late in the show. A nice 5-4 Nats win at the Colorado Rockies late night on Monday night. Thanks to the Nats' bad pitching actually doing quite well in probably the single toughest pitching environment in the majors, Coors Field. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from a good dose of what I said on Monday's show, episode 153, about the perpetual parking lot uh, that is 66 in Virginia. Three certainties in life, death, taxes, and interstate construction in the state of Virginia. I'm 39, and there's never not been construction happening on 64.95 and or 66 my entire life. I've accepted that it exists in perpetuity and will never go away. Yeah, uh, I hear you, man. It's incredible. That construction on 66, that construction will never be over, okay? What will happen first? Washington will win a Super Bowl or the construction on 66 will be finished? Uh, I don't know. Tweet from Coach Russ on the Washington football team's, shall we say, struggling defense. Uh, So Jack Del Rio won't answer a single question from the media regarding scheme, worried about competitive advantage. Uh, What exactly is he hiding from the media? Every team he's faced seems to know the WFT defensive scheme and how to attack it. You know, it's a good point, Coach Russ. I've noted several times on the podcast how Jack Del Rio will take these like subtle shots at Ron Rivera for talking about scheme and strategy. And Jack will not talk about those things. And that's fine. I have no problem with Jack not talking about those things. But yeah, it sure seems like the opposition has a full understanding of uh, Washington's defensive scheme and strategy. Well, we're going to talk a lot about Washington's defense coming up in moments. The defense needs to be better. Sometimes in life, you need to be something or you need to have something. And if you need a lawyer, or if you think that you might need a lawyer, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans. I've known the Naces for more than 25 years. These are good people. These are smart people. And these are successful people. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars 
for the sick and injured. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Well, Paulson and Nace knows how to win inside the courtroom. Founding partner Barry Nace has tried more medical malpractice cases to verdict in Washington, D.C. than any other plaintiff's attorney. If you're looking for a lawyer, ask yourself this. Do you want an attorney who talks about unverified successful cases, or do you want a law firm that has fought the good fight for decades? That law firm is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Make sure that you say, hey, I heard about you guys on the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what I got going on. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right. Well, how are we feeling on this Tuesday? Are you feeling any better about your Washington football team? Are you feeling maybe a little less angry? A little less outraged off that debacle of a loss on Sunday afternoon. 43-21 was the final at the Buffalo Bills, in case you forgot. Yeah, Washington allowed the Bills to score 43 points. Most points given up by Washington in a game since the 47-16 loss at the Dallas Cowboys in Week 17 of that horrific 2019 season. Uh, The most points that Washington allowed in a game last season were 34, uh, that in the 34-20 loss at the Cleveland Browns in Week 3. The loss at the Bills was a disaster, okay? Make no mistake about it. The loss at the Bills was embarrassing. And maybe worst of all, the loss at the Bills was telling. You know, nobody is dismissing that loss as just, well, that was one of those days. You know, the consensus feeling, and it is to me an accurate feeling, is that that loss was a reflection of what Washington is right now, especially defensively. That was not some fluke score that was the result of a game getting away from you. Uh, That was a score that could have been much worse in a game in which you were thoroughly outclassed. Rod Rivera, the previous Tuesday, called the game a measuring stick game. Uh, That's not something that he's going to be living down anytime soon. And Rod, to his credit, has owned up to having called the game a measuring stick game. He's not run away from that. Uh, He stood by that during his post-game press conference on Sunday, did so again during his day-after-the-game Zoom press conference on Monday. Rod on Monday with his takeaways from the measuring stick game. Well, I think there's a little bit of a gap. I mean, if you go back and look at some of the things that happened offensively and some of the good things, you know, I'm I'm a little disappointed that that our first drive, in my opinion, was stopped by a call that I, I didn't think was the right call as far as calling pass interference. Uh, you know, because when you get a chance to watch it on tape, you see that uh, the, uh, the 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 middle linebacker basically absorbs 
the guy that supposedly set the pick. Okay. And if you watch that play and you sit there and go, well, that's not pass interference because the guy turned and absorbed him and took away a first down. So then the second one, unfortunately, we fumbled the ball on, on, on a nice play. We, we hit the tight end through the middle and he's picking up good yardage, but he fumbles at midfield, unfortunately. Um, you know, so you settle down, you score some points. Um, so offensively, we did some really good things. Defensively, we had our moments. You know, we, we really did. But what we didn't do is we didn't string them together. We were inconsistent in our play. Um, are we are we that far off? No, I don't think we are. I really don't. Uh, but I, I but I do know to give ourselves an opportunity, chance to be one of those types of teams. We've got to play like one of those. We've got to play disciplined football uh, all the way across the board on on, on all three phases. And that gives us a chance to win football games. Yeah, we have a lot of talent. I get that. And, and I know a lot of people are expectations because of that talent. But as this talent is being worked and molded into a unit, into a team, uh, we're going to we're going to suffer some of these games. We're going to go through this. If you play long enough, you will have you will get beat like this. And that's just the way it is. But how you handle how you bounce back, that's what's important. That's how you learn. And hopefully our guys will learn and understand you know, that we have to do it a specific way to give ourselves a chance. Yeah, so Washington does have issues offensively, but the defense is the thing right now. The defense has been a wreck, a shell of what it was supposed to be. I tweeted this immediately after the game on Sunday. I said this on Monday show, episode 153, and I'll say this again right now. The defense has been so bad and such a departure from what the talent would suggest that the defense should be that you have to wonder whether there are things going on internally that we're not privy to. And I'm not saying that to stir the pot. I'm not saying that to get attention, okay? I'm saying that because to me, when a unit this talented and with coaches as credentialed as Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio is this bad, and you have Ron continually bringing up things like guys being out of position, and continually bringing up this idea of whether the team is mature enough. You have to wonder whether there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And this idea, which I've heard from some of, don't say that. You're being irresponsible when you say that. Why are you stirring the pot? Why are you suggesting that? I'm not stirring anything, okay? I'm doing my job here. I'm thinking about this thing critically. To me, if you're one of those who immediately pushes back on the possibility of there being internal problems here. You're being naive, okay? And you're being a fanboy. Stop being a fanboy and be real about what could be happening here. And that's all I'm saying is that this could be the case. I don't know that that's the case. And I hope that this isn't the case. You have to ponder the possibility of players not getting along with coaches, players not getting along with other players, coaches not getting along with other coaches. I don't know. And maybe none of that is happening. Maybe there are no internal problems. I hope that there are no internal problems. But you got to ask the question. Washington's 2016 defense was terrible due in part to internal problems. We all remember when it came to Washington's offense in 2013, right? Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan versus Robert Griffin III. Internal problems. Could it be that we have internal problems to at least some extent going on with Washington's defense right now? I hope not. But again, I don't think you've been paying attention. I don't think that you're thinking this thing through if you don't at least wonder about the possibility 
of internal problems. The good news is that I do believe that this defense is fixable. Again, there's a lot of talent on this defense. I know that some are questioning the defensive talent, and I get doing that, but to me, the referendum on whether this defense is truly talented was last season, and the answer was a resounding yes, and I don't care who the opposing quarterbacks were. Washington's defense last season was vastly improved from the 2019 defense. Washington's defense last season represented one of the biggest single-season defensive turnarounds in recent NFL history. I'm not overstating things when I say that. That turnaround wasn't just a function of, you know, facing Ben DiNucci, okay? Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain. All of these guys are talented, and many of these guys have had success. We can debate how good these guys all are, but they're not all terrible. And yet this defense has been terrible so far this season. Why? Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio have presided over a number of very good defenses over the years, including Washington's defense last season, and yet this Washington defense has been terrible so far this season. Again, why? Ron on Monday, on whether his team's mentality is where it needs to be at this point in the season. Not necessarily. Again, I I think the thing that I'm I'm struggling with more so than anything else is just, you know, we we have to play – the the, the 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 schemes the way they're designed you know they're, they're set up a specific way and there's an accountability to it you have to do your job um and you have to be mature enough to handle that situation circumstances and sometimes we get to the point where we want to try and do more than we have to all right so there was ron again getting into these concepts of players not playing the defense as it is supposed to be played players not adhering to the scheme maturity. Again, these concepts that Ron keeps discussing, that Ron keeps bringing up, they to me are potentially indicative of some things happening behind the scenes that we're not privy to. And, you know, with these concepts of players not playing the defense as the defense is supposed to be played, players not adhering to the scheme, maturity, you know, it's one thing for these things to be things one time. But that these things keep being things, what is the deal with that? You know, again, Ron keeps bringing these things up. Why are these things still things? How is it that these things are still things? These things need to stop being things. Uh, Let's talk Chase Young. How is Chase Young doing? Number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, your Associated Press NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, for the 2020 season. He has zero sacks through three games. Now, as I've said, you can't just evaluate Chase Young via sacks. Uh, That is way too simplistic. That is way too elementary. You know, that to me is what the football dum-dums do. Like, sacks to me are not the only thing to look at when it comes to edge rushers. And I hate when people do that. Say, well, he only has a few sacks, so how good can he be? Sacks can be flukish. Sacks can be random. Watch football, okay? You see sacks happen, and you see like four people on top of the quarterback. Who gets the sack? I don't know. Does that mean that only that guy who got the sack is the one who did well on that play? I mean, come on. Sacks can be random. Sacks do matter. I'm not trying to say the sacks don't matter, but you judge a pass rusher based on many other things in addition to sacks. Well, one of those things is pressures, and there are various outlets that track pressures. 
Uh, not all of the outlets agree on what a pressure is, but here's some of what we have regarding Chase Young. Chase Young in the loss at the Bills for Pro Football Focus had just six pressures on 41 pass rushing snaps. That works out to a pass rush winning percentage of just 14.6. It's not good. Chase Young through three games this season for Sport Radar has not just zero sacks, but just one quarterback hurry and zero quarterback knockdowns. You know, the advanced stats for last season told you that Chase Young's impact went well beyond his seven and a half sacks in the regular season. The advanced stats for this season tell you that Chase Young's impact has been about what his sack total is, zero. And, you know, Chase Young has had his moments. He has done some things, but he hasn't done nearly enough things. Ron Rivera on Monday gave his evaluation of Chase Young so far this season, especially given the expectations. Yeah, and that's the hard part for him is the expectations are high and he's trying to make things happen. But, you know, he's had some really good moments. He, you know, I, I believe he had a, a pretty good pressure rate yesterday and had a couple of chances at some some pretty good plays. But, you know, it's just one of those things that he gets a little extra attention and, uh, you know, with, with the chipper to his side or the uh, protection turning towards him, and he's just going to you know have to learn to continue to cope with it. But at the same time, he's he's also got to understand what his strengths are and, and really attack it with those strengths because he 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 can be such a disruptive player. Yeah, you heard Ron reference Chase's pressure rate in the loss at the Bills. I'm not sure what Ron was referring to there. Uh, maybe Ron has data that suggests otherwise, but I haven't seen anything that Chase had a high pressure rate uh, on Sunday. Now you heard Ron in that cut that I just played for you say that he wants Chase to really understand what his strengths are. I thought that was interesting. What did Ron mean by that? Well, I think the first big part is his get off. When, when, when he's playing vertical and, and, and you know getting through to his third step before he decides what he wants to do, I, I think he's a very disruptive football player. Um, and, and sometimes I, I, I think he, he has a little stutter in, in one of his moves. And that, to me, is, is not what he does best because the stutter, he's got to stop, start, and go again. And, and I'd much rather just see him keep going vertical because – when he is moving, he's, he, 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 is, he is a force and he is difficult to stop. Yes, he is. So some good analysis there from Ron. But, you know, for all of the Chase Young talk, it wasn't just Chase Young who struggled at the Bills for Washington from a pass rushing perspective. Montez Sweat in the loss at the Bills for Pro Football Focus had just three pressures on 36 pass rushing snaps for a pass rush winning percentage of just 8.3. Jonathan Allen and the loss at the Bills for Pro Football Focus had just two pressures on 43 pass rushing snaps for a pass rush winning percentage of just 4.7. The Washington defensive lineman who delivered in the loss at the Bills was Deron Payne. He for Pro Football Focus had 11 pressures on 42 pass rushing snaps for a 28.6 pass rush winning percentage. Payne was good the rest of the guys, in terms of like the big five, really weren't. And yes, Matt Ioannidis was inactive due to a knee injury, so we can put him off to the side. But Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Jonathan Allen all got handled in that loss at the Bills. Allen at least had been really good over the first two games of the season, so I'm not going to sit here and crush Jonathan Allen. Sweat has been okay, but you know neither Chase Young nor Montez Sweat has been special, and they're supposed to be special. 
Heck, they're supposed to be threatening the single season record for combined sacks, right? Remember what Montez Sweat said in August. We talk about all the time about breaking records and stuff like that. I personally wanted to go get the the combined sack record that the uh, the guys got back before. So, yeah, we talk about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, the combined sack record. Uh, how is that pursuit going? Can I get an update on where Chase Young and Montez Sweat stand when it comes to threatening the all-time record for combined sacks by two players in an NFL regular season? Chase Young and Montez Sweat have combined for two sacks through three games. I personally wanted to go get the, the combined sack record that the, uh, the guys got back before us. Yes, thank you, Montez. Now, again, Chase Young and Montez Sweat are extremely talented. Do I think that they all of a sudden are bad players? No, but neither guy has been at his best. Washington's vaunted defensive line needs to step up, as they say, and be what the line is supposed to be. Dominant. Run on Monday on the pass rush being generated by Washington's defensive line. One of the things that we saw, we really kind of saw uh, on tape this past Sunday was uh, the, the rush wasn't as coordinated as it needed to be. You know, um, we had a couple instances where when Duran would win uh, and he, you know, to, to whichever side he was with the end, he'd win. But unfortunately, the end was was wasn't coordinated with him. You know, if he, he did a nice up and under move and got himself back inside. We had the win. We had the end wash around to the outside. Uh, a couple of times when the end went to the outside, Deronda made a nice outside move as well. So we had two guys outside, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things that they have to have a little more coordination. They got to work a little bit better together and just understanding, you know, where, where each other's going to be. Because again, you, you need to have, make sure you've got an inside guy and an outside guy. You can't have two guys going into the same area. All right, so that was another notable take there from Ron Rivera on Monday. That, by the way, is something that Jack Del Rio would never reveal uh, in a press conference, like never. Uh, Getting away from Washington's defensive line, Washington, of course, has had problems elsewhere on defense. The problems aren't just about the defensive line. I think the problems start with the defensive line, but the problems are not exclusive to the defensive line. Uh, Washington's linebacker play has not been good. You know, it's interesting. John Bostick's playing time has plummeted. Uh, John Bostick in the loss at the Bills played on just 49% of Washington's defensive snaps. Understand Bostick in the 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2 played on 57% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Bostick in the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in Week 1 played on 84% of Washington's defensive snaps. So Bostick's playing time percentages have gone down from 84% to 57%, to 49%. Uh, How about what's going on at safety? We are seeing less and less of Landon Collins and more and more of Cameron Curl. And I have no problems with that. But this is something to be mindful of if you're a Washington fan here. Landon Collins in the loss at the Bills played on just 58% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Landon in the win over the Giants played on 75% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Landon in the loss to the Chargers played on 80% of Washington's defensive snaps. So Landon's playing time percentages have gone from 80% to 75% to 58%. And conversely, Cameron Curl's playing time percentages have shot up. Uh, Curl in the loss at the Bills played on 78% of Washington's defensive snaps. He in the win over the Giants played on 74% 
of Washington's defensive snaps. He had the loss to the Chargers played on just 46% of Washington's defensive snaps. So Curl's playing time percentages have gone from 46% to 74% to 78%. Less and less of Landon Collins, more and more of Cameron Curl. Uh, Bobby McCain's playing time has fluctuated, but he and the loss at the Bills did play on 70% of Washington's defensive snaps. DeShazer Everett, by the way, has not yet played on any of Washington's defensive snaps this season. Run on Monday on Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain, and Landon Collins in the loss at the Bills. I kind of thought those three guys played pretty well uh, individually. I thought those guys made some, some plays. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things that, you know, they still got to work out in, in terms of, of uh, understanding the overall scheme. But um, they, for the most part, put themselves into some good positions. You know, I really like what we got from Cam, watching him get close into the box and doing some of those things. I thought Bobby gave us a, a couple of plays out of, out of, the, uh, out of the secondary as it, as it landed. I thought Landon did a nice job a couple of times coming down on the edge of the box. Um, and made some really nice tackles and some nice plays. I, I think three of those guys are, are really kind of getting it together, you know. If you think for the fact that really, you know, Landon missed most of last year with the injury and Bobby's new to what we're doing, uh, I think those three guys are a pretty solid group. Hopefully, but they are a part of a Washington secondary that has given up a lot, and of course, that secondary includes the corners. Washington's corners have not played well. William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, and Benjamin St. Juice have all had issues. And, you know, the St. Juice issues are one thing. He's a rookie. But William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller are two big money corners who need to be better. You know, those guys are certainly paid to be better. The third down defense has been abysmal. Washington allowed the Bills to go 9 of 15 on third downs. And one of Washington's third down stops, quote unquote, was a kneel down by the Bills' backup quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, on the final snap of the game. Washington, as of games through Sunday, was number 31 out of 32 NFL teams so far this season in lowest opponent's third down efficiency at 58.7%, 27 of 46. One more thing on the defense. So to the issue of the opposing quarterbacks, Washington last season, of course, faced the likes of Carson Wentz, Ben DiNucci, Ryan Finley, Nate Sudfeld, a far cry from the anticipated murderer's row of opposing quarterbacks for Washington this season, right? Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott twice in three weeks in December. This was Ron on Monday on whether facing better quarterbacks this season is an issue for Washington's defense. No, because everybody's got to play everybody else. Okay, because if that was the case and you sit here and you look at some of these teams and you say, God, they, you know, they they didn't earn that record. Look at who they're playing. You know, that's that's not fair because everybody sits there and goes, oh, well, you guys didn't deserve to be the playoffs, but yet who, who played the, the world champs the best last year. See what I'm saying? I mean, we're the ones everybody said, oh, wow, you guys played against Tampa Bay better than anybody else in the playoffs. So that doesn't matter. Okay, what matters is how you play on Sundays. Okay, and right now we didn't play very well on Sunday. That's the only thing that truly matters. You know, that's why they say in this in, in this league, any, any team can beat any team on any given Sunday. Why? Because it's about who plays the best during that game. 
You play best during that game, you're going to win the game. We didn't play at our best. They did. So we give them credit. They deserve to beat us because we did not play very well. No, you didn't. Uh, Of course, facing better quarterbacks this season is an issue for Washington's defense. How could that not be an issue? And Ron doesn't have to admit to that being an issue, but heck yeah, facing the likes of Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, that matters. That matters a lot. Of course, that's going to matter a lot. Well, your lawn matters, but so too do you. And if you want to enjoy your weekends, your free time, and not have to worry about caring for your lawn, if you're not exactly sure of how to care for your lawn, or if you're not satisfied with how your lawn is uh, currently being cared for, contact Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. I know that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. The best weed controls, state certified seed. Uh, Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. Yeah, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. Now, a beautiful spring lawn actually starts now in the fall. And so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's how you get the deal. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get that deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, a 30% discount of the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Uh, You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. We continue with the Washington football team conversation. So there are few phrases when it comes to talking quarterbacks that are more incendiary than game manager. Ooh, He's a game manager, you know? What does that mean? That's bad, right? But can't it be good? I mean, managing the game, that's good, right? But then again, nobody ever calls the great quarterbacks game managers, so that must be bad. Uh, Calling a quarterback a game manager is like a girl calling a guy who likes the girl a good friend. Oh, you're such a good friend, you know? Game manager is like the friend zone of quarterback descriptions. Now, most coaches will tell you that being a game manager is a good thing, and in theory, being a game manager is a good thing, but like I said, you never really hear the great quarterbacks referred to as game managers, right? At least not these days. And why is that? Well, that's because the great quarterbacks are playmakers, 
The great quarterbacks make plays. The great quarterbacks don't just manage games. The great quarterbacks dictate games and change games. I bring all of this up because Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, said something about Taylor Heineke having to do with Ron wanting Taylor to be more of a game manager. So Taylor, to me, in the 43-21 loss at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon, was very mixed. Uh, Taylor was mixed as opposed to being good for really the first time in his five games as a Washington quarterback, talking, of course, about the regular season and the postseason. Uh, You can't say that Taylor was great. He threw two interceptions. He had multiple near picks. He committed that third quarter, second and eight, five-yard illegal forward pass penalty. Uh, He led a Washington offense that went just two of 11 on third down. So whatever praise you have for Taylor Heineke and what he did in the loss at the Bills has to come with this caveat of, well, yeah, but, and there are many, yeah, but at the same time, Taylor Heineke did do some good things in the loss at the Bills. 14 of 24 for 212 yards. That's 8.83 yards per pass attempt. And those numbers would have been even better if not for three drops by Washington pass catchers. Uh, Taylor accounted for three touchdowns, two touchdown passes and a touchdown run. Uh, although, you know, the second touchdown pass did come in garbage time, but still two touchdown passes and a touchdown run. And Taylor Heineke had eight carries for 21 yards and a touchdown and had an impressive escape act. Remember that play, first and goal at the Bills 7 in the fourth quarter. Uh, Taylor Heineke miraculously ducked out of pressure and took a shot from linebacker Matt Milano on a shotgun incompletion in the end zone. If that performance from Taylor Heineke at the Bills is the worst performance that we see from Taylor Heineke as a Washington quarterback, uh, that's just fine because the performance, while certainly not great and certainly mixed, was far from Washington's biggest problem on Sunday. But the two picks were bad, and he could have had more than two picks. The picks that he did throw certainly seemed to be a function of trying to force things that weren't there, trying to be a playmaker. And that's the thing. We know that Taylor Heineke can very much be a playmaker. We saw that on his touchdown run, that second quarter, second and goal, four-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run as Taylor Heineke ran the ball in from about the Bills' 20 and scored via diving headfirst at the front right pylon. Another spectacular touchdown run for Taylor Heineke as a Washington quarterback. He did the pylon thing again. But being a playmaker comes with risk, and the risk ended up uh, not rewarding Washington via those two picks on Sunday. And so Ron on Monday was asked if there are times in a game in which Ron wants Taylor Heineke to make more game manager type decisions instead of playmaker decisions. And here's what Ron had to say. Yeah, so I'd like to see him do things in more of a game manager way. Um, Sometimes that is really just taking what's given to you. You know, uh, go ahead and throw the check down. Go ahead and throw the jag or the drag, excuse me, or, 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 or the slant as opposed to, okay, I'm going to wait for the dig to get into that middle window. And then uh, in the meantime, everything is closing around me as the quarterback. Um, I'm going to go ahead and scramble out to my, to my right. And I'm going to wait for the guy to come across. I'm going to throw across my body. Um, I, I, you know, those are the things that you don't want to see him do. Um, and, and take what's there in front of him. Again, it, it might be a simple check down. Uh, on, on, on third and eight and, 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 and give the guy a chance to catch a turn and run and see if he can pick it up. 
Uh, it doesn't have to have, you don't have to throw the ball to a receiver that's beyond the, the down market. And, and that's some of the things that he has to understand as far as game management. Um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll make the, the, the right decision, you know, not, not the decision because it's hard, it's the decision because it's easy, but the right one. And if the right one's throwing the check down, we'll live with the check down. We'll live with the good decisions, the right decisions. So, says Ron Rivera of Taylor Heineke, quote, Yes, I'd like to see him do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. In listening to what Ron said, what he said makes sense. The problem, of course, with invoking the phrase game manager is that people too often don't define what is meant by game manager. And so when you say game manager, people are like, well, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to say? You know, it's like it's so important, right, to define your terms. Like if you say game manager and you mean a check down Charlie who plays way too conservatively, rarely takes chances, rarely throws downfield, you know, quarterbacks in offense that doesn't produce explosive plays, then yeah, game manager very much has a negative connotation. But if you say game manager and you mean a quarterback who plays intelligently and who doesn't take unnecessary risks and who allows for his playmakers to make plays, uh, then yeah, game manager isn't such a bad thing. And Ron pretty clearly meant the latter in referring to Taylor Heineke as needing to be more of a game manager. Ron would have to be a moron to say that he wants Taylor Heineke to play ultra conservatively and to rarely take chances and to rarely throw downfield. Who wants that, okay? So I get where Ron was coming from with what he said. What's tricky is will Taylor Heineke strike that proper balance of still taking chances to make big plays, but not taking too many chances. And that is such a fine line to walk, right? Take chances, but don't take too many chances, you know? Like, what qualifies as too many chances? What qualifies as a risk that you shouldn't have taken? And the answer, of course, is a chance or a risk that doesn't work out, you know? Like, so much of this is hindsight. So much of this is, well, uh, that didn't work out, so you shouldn't have done that, you know? But if you force a ball and the play ends up being a completion, well, wow, what a great play. What a playmaker that quarterback is, you know? But I don't think that it's unfair to Taylor Heineke to say that he did take some unnecessary risks in the loss at the Bills. He was trying to make plays. He was trying to force things in no small part because the Washington football team's defense was atrocious And what ended up happening were two interceptions that were not good throws slash decisions. But Taylor Heineke did not have some like shameful performance at the Bills. You know, the idea of his first road game as a Washington quarterback. Oh, he can't handle the crowd. Oh, the environment is going to get to him. You know, Taylor Heineke to me, while he did not have a very good performance and while he certainly was not as good as he had been in each of his first two starts for Washington, He was not some embarrassment, okay? This was not some total exposing of Taylor Heineke as a fraud of a starting quarterback in the NFL. I certainly did not feel that way watching that game. He was not very good, but he also wasn't awful, you know? Like, to me, if you're grading Taylor Heineke's game, it's like a C-minus game, you know? It's something like that, which you need to be better, right? C-minus is below average, but it's also not something that you look at and you say, good God, like, that's non-competitive. No, he was competitive, He just wasn't good enough. Now, something that would help Taylor Heineke be very good in Washington's next game, which is at the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday afternoon at one, would be the debut of Curtis Samuel 
with Washington. Yeah, remember that guy? Uh, Samuel has been on the reserve injured list since September 10th due to his groin injury. Uh, a player who is on the reserve injured list is eligible to start practicing after missing three weeks of games. His team then has 21 days to place him back on its active roster. And so this Wednesday, which will be the start of Washington's practice week for this game at the Falcons, will be a big day. Ron Rivera on Monday on Curtis Samuel. We'll see how it goes on Wednesday. You know, that's the thing that we're pretty excited as a, as a, as a group. I, I think uh, the offensive coaches are pretty uh, fired up to see uh, exactly where he is. And if he has a good day Wednesday, we'll, we'll progress and go forward. Yes, so prepare yourself to dance, the Curtis Samuel dance, the Curtis Samuel cha-cha-cha, uh, once again, beginning on Wednesday. I tell you what, Washington could use Curtis Samuel because the production from Washington receivers not named Terry McLaurin hasn't exactly been stellar. Uh, Deami Brown in the loss at the Bills, no receptions on two targets, one of which was a drop, and one carry for minus four yards and playing on 65% of Washington's offensive snaps. Adam Humphreys in the loss at the Bills, one reception for seven yards on four targets and playing on 63% of Washington's offensive snaps. Cam Sims in the loss at the Bills, one reception for 15 yards on two targets, one of which was a drop and one carry for seven yards and playing on 37% of Washington's offensive snaps. I'm not saying that all three of those guys aren't any good, but Uh, There's a reason that Washington this past March signed Curtis Samuel to a three-year, $34.5 million free agent contract with $21.5 million fully guaranteed at signing. It is time for Curtis Samuel to be out there. Hopefully he is come Sunday at the Falcons. Well, how about what we learned on Monday about Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal? I'll get to that after this. Washington football team season is in full swing, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We're all excited to watch the WFT this season. Whether you're looking to watch Young Sweat and the defense battle Mahomes and the Chiefs or Brady and the Bucks at home or wanting to travel with McLaurin and the guys to watch them play at Rodgers and the Pack or at Carr and the Raiders or you want to hit up the division games, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, believe it or not, the Wizards are beginning training camp on Tuesday. I said the Wizards are beginning training camp on Tuesday. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, The Capitals began their training camp last Thursday, and the Wizards are beginning their training camp on Tuesday. Wizards will begin their preseason on October 5th at the Houston Rockets. Wizards will begin their regular season on October 20th at the Toronto Raptors. This is very much a new-look Wizards team. Gone are Russell Westbrook, Robin Lopez, Ish Smith, Alex Len, and Chandler Hutchison. In are the likes of Spencer Dinwiddie, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and Corey Kispert, who the Wizards took with the number 15 pick in the 2021 NBA draft at a Gonzaga. Now, because these are the Wizards, uh, we do have some stuff going on. So we had news over the weekend. The Wizards on Saturday afternoon announced that Rui Hachimura would miss the start of training camp due to personal reasons. Uh, the Wizards added that Rui's absence had been excused and that the team would provide further updates when appropriate. Uh, Certainly hope that Rui is doing okay, but at least for now, no Rui Hachimura. Uh, We have multiple Wizards coming off of serious injury. Thomas Bryant, he's coming off of a season-ending, partially torn left ACL that he suffered this past January 9th. Denny Avdia, who the Wizards took with the number nine pick in the 2020 NBA draft, he's coming off a season-ending right ankle fracture that he suffered this past April 21st. Now, Bradley Beal, uh, he is still on the Wizards. He was not traded during the offseason. Uh, he, as best as we can tell, did not ask to be traded this past offseason. He can opt out of his contract this coming offseason. So the 
2022 offseason. The Wizards can offer him another max contract extension in October. Going to be very interesting to see whether he accepts, although he's going to have plenty of time to accept the offer. Uh, But Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard has said that the extension offer is coming. But if Beal says no, uh, the Wizards, to me, are going to need to trade Beal as soon as possible. Now, whether the Wizards pull the trigger on that, I don't know. But the risk of losing Beal via free agency next offseason is a risk that you cannot take if you're the Wizards. And yes, the Wizards could do a sign and trade, but sign and trades never get you what you should get for a really good player. However, it may well be that Beal is going to accept that extension offer. And I say that based on something that came out on Monday. The Athletic, in a piece that came out on Monday, reported that Russell Westbrook, whose request to be traded to the Los Angeles Lakers was what caused the Wizards to trade him to the Lakers, had tried to convince Bradley Beal to ask the Wizards to trade him, but Beal declined to do that. Remember, we know that Westbrook asked the Wizards to trade him to the Lakers. The Wizards did not want to trade Russell Westbrook this past offseason. Tommy Shepard in a press conference on August 13th confirmed that the Wizards had not planned on trading Russell Westbrook. Westbrook basically forced the Wizards to deal him to the Lakers, or at the very least, uh, Westbrook said, hey, I want out of here. And the Wizards were like, well, we don't want a malcontent, so let's go ahead and figure something out. Reads the article from The Athletic, quote, and before Westbrook resorted to calling Leonsis, as in Wizards owner Ted Leonsis, he, as in Westbrook, had tried to convince Beal in the weeks leading up to the draft that they should both ask out of Washington, according to sources. Short of Beal showing a desire to also request a trade, Westbrook was hopeful Beal would at least support his efforts to get to LA, which sources said Beal did. Westbrook had been telling those around him for weeks that he was finally coming home, but now those dreams seemed to be slipping away. So shortly before noon on July 29th, he asked his billionaire boss, Ted Leonsis, for a personal favor, find a way for him to land with the Lakers. That passionate plea set off a chain of events that resulted in the Lakers assembling one of the most star-laden and veteran teams in league history, end quote. So how about that? Westbrook tried to get Beal to ask out two, and Beal declined. The Wizards on Monday conducted their media day. Uh, Beal at his press conference essentially confirmed what has been reported, that he considered asking to be traded, but he decided that he wanted to remain with the Wizards and that he and Russell Westbrook were not going to both be asking to be traded. Now, also a big topic at the Beal Presser uh, was everyone's favorite, uh, most pleasurable topic, COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, Bill confirmed what many have suspected. He has not been vaccinated for COVID-19. Bill cited personal reasons. And at one point, Bill started asking the media about why they had chosen to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Remember, Bradley Beal was ruled out for Team USA for the Tokyo Summer Olympics due to testing positive for COVID-19. Beal's tenure with Team USA ended up being pretty much a disaster, right? First of all, Team USA went just one and two in exhibition play during Beal's tenure with the team. Then Beal entered health and safety protocols at Team USA camp in Las Vegas. And then Beal was ruled out for the Olympics. 
Bradley Beal was to become the first active member of the Wizards franchise to play in the Olympics, and instead, his tenure with Team USA became a mess. Only the Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, exactly. Anyway, back to the Westbrook stuff. So as a lifelong Bullet slash Wizards fan, I have two reactions to what came out on Monday. Uh, my first reaction is, good for Bradley Beal for wanting to stay here. And I hope that he does want to stay here. Because while Bradley Beal is far from a perfect player, and while he is not an elite player, he is an elite scorer. He certainly seems like a good dude. He still is years away from 30. You know, this coming season will be just his age 28 season. And you can do a lot worse than Bradley Beal. But my second reaction to Russell Westbrook having tried to convince Bradley Beal to ask to be traded is essentially this. Uh, Screw you, Russell Westbrook, okay? Like, what's your problem, dude? Like, I mean, think about this now. What kind of garbage is this, okay? Russell Westbrook trying to tear down the Wizards. And I know it's not necessarily as mean-spirited as that, you know? And I suppose you could say, hey, the Wizards would have been better off trading Bradley Beal this past offseason. And that may well prove to be true. But trading Bradley Beal is something for the Wizards to decide. Russell Westbrook, okay, a carpetbagger who spent one season on the Wizards, has no right to come here and try to turn our team upside down. The damn Washington Wizards. Yeah, who the heck are you, Russell Westbrook? Like, it really is ridiculous to me that Russell Westbrook comes here for one season and then at the end of that one season, A, asks out and B, says to the best player on the Wizards, hey, you should ask out too. Come on, why don't you ask out too? Like, what is that? And why is that just accepted in the NBA? You know, it's bad enough that Westbrook requested his way out of here after just one season when the Wizards didn't want to trade him. But it turns out that he tried to get Beal to ask for a trade too. I don't like that at all. And remember what led to Westbrook asking the Wizards to trade him. The Lakers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis recruited Westbrook, tampered with Westbrook. NBA insider Mark Stein on August 7th tweeted, quote, Players huddling like Russ, LeBron, and AD did before the Laker whiz trade does not typically lead to NBA intervention because the league says it can't police player-to-player discussion, end quote. So, I mean, the obvious implication there from Mark Stein was that LeBron James and Anthony Davis of the Lakers recruited Russell Westbrook to ask to be traded to the Lakers while Westbrook was still on the Wizards. And the NBA just says, "Mm, well, we can't police this, so just go ahead and tamper. What can we do? Like, why the NBA allows for players to tamper with players on other teams, to me, is absurd. Like, this is another example of the NBA being run over by the superstar player. You know, no league is governed by its superstar players more than the NBA is. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for players to have power. I I don't have an issue with that. The problem is that... Uh, too many of these players abuse that power. You know, see all of the players who have whined and demanded to be traded in the NBA over the last 10 years or so. Uh, But yeah, very interesting reveal from The Athletic on what went down with Bradley Beal this past offseason. You may recall that there was drama for a while regarding what was Beal going to do. Multiple reports that Beal was considering requesting a trade. He decided not to at least for now. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, exactly.
All right, nice win for the Nationals late night on Monday night. A 5-4 win at the Colorado Rockies in game one of a three-game series. What is the Nats' penultimate series of the season? And what is the Nats' final road series of the season? A good start to the series for the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey Martinez, thank you. Nats now 65-92 and on the season. As you likely know, there may be no tougher park in which to pitch than Coors Field. Uh, the altitude, the mile-high air has tormented pitchers for years. The Rockies' first season as a major league team was the 1993 season, and the Rockies basically have never been a good pitching team. And so Monday night's game was a big test for the Nationals' Josiah Gray. He was doing really well, and then things fell apart, at least somewhat. So Gray in this 5-4 win at the Rockies on Monday night allowed three runs in five and a third innings. He gave up four hits, a three-run double, and three singles. He issued three walks, a wild pitch, and a hit-by-pitch. He had four strikeouts. He threw 52 strikes versus 38 balls on 90 pitches. But the thing is, Gray began his outing with five scoreless innings. Josiah Gray was doing so well. Uh, scoreless bottom of the first, he struck out Trevor Story on four pitches with a runner on third. Scoreless bottom of the fourth, Gray struck out Elias Diaz with a runner on second. Josiah Gray was cruising, and then he hit a wall in the bottom of the sixth inning. Josiah Gray, in facing the Rockies lineup for a third time, got got. Uh, Josiah Gray, in the bottom of the sixth, ended up giving up three runs and recording just one out. Uh, Gray gave up a leadoff single to Garrett Hampson. Gray issued a five-pitch walk at Charlie Blackman. Gray issued a four-pitch walk at Trevor Story. And Gray then gave up a one-out bases-loaded three-run double by Ryan McMahon off the center field wall to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3. And if you watch the game, you know that that baseball had Grand Slam written all over it, okay? I mean, I'm watching that baseball fly, and I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. The Nats are about to set a new Major League record for most Grand Slams given up by a team in a season. The Nats have tied that record of 14, share that record with the 1996 Detroit Tigers, and the next Grand Slam given up by the Nats this year, if there's a next Grand Slam given up by the Nats this year, will make Major League history. Ryan McMahon barely missed a Grand Slam, uh, but still, it's a bases-clearing three-run double. Nats' lead gets cut to one, and Josiah Gray ends up getting pulled from the game. So yeah, three runs in five and a third innings. The final line doesn't look as good as the performance actually was. He very clearly ran out of gas in that bottom of the sixth inning. You know, it was interesting. He batted in the top of the six. He bunted. He had a first pitch bunt ground out uh, in what was an interesting spot. The guy was bunting with a runner on first base and two outs. I'm not exactly sure what the thought process was there. But, you know, with that altitude, with that mile high air, I think Josiah Gray was fatigued, first of all, just because he had already pitched five innings. But also, you know, you run to first base and then you got to go back out there and pitch. I could see that having kind of messed with Josiah Gray's cardio. So he runs out of steam, but he overall does do well, in my mind, in a second consecutive start. So if you take a step back now, Josiah Gray over his time with the Nationals at the major league level. First five starts, overall good. Next four starts, overall bad. Last two starts have overall been good. We don't yet know what the Nationals starting pitching setup will be for the final series of the season for the Nats. That'll be a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park this weekend. But it does appear as if Josiah Gray 
will get one more start this year. We don't know that with certainty, but he certainly is a candidate. And I hope he gets another start because Josiah Gray is a piece for the future and hopefully is a real building block for the Nationals rotation moving forward. Uh, Meantime, interesting game for the Nats bullpen on Monday night. Tanner Rainey and not Kyle Finnegan was utilized as the Nats closer. So first of all, overall good job by the Nats bullpen. Four Nats relievers in this 5-4 win at the Rockies combined to allow just one run in three and two-thirds innings. Austin Voth came into the game in that bottom of the sixth inning with a runner on second, went out, and the Nats nursing a 4-3 lead. And Voth got the job done, put out the fire. Austin Voth was a fireman. Uh, He retired two of the three batters he faced in the inning to prevent any more runs from scoring. Mason Thompson tosses scoreless bottom of the seventh, despite issuing a leadoff seven-pitch walk of Rymel Tapia and giving up a two-out single to Trevor Story, despite Story having been down in the count at 1.12. Then Kyle Finnegan pitched the bottom of the eighth inning. Kyle Finnegan, of course, has been the Nats' closer since the Nats dealt away Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson in the late July sell-off. And, you know, the results for Finnegan as Nationals' closer have been mixed, but with the rise of Tanner Rainey, I had been wondering, I know more than a few people have been wondering, well, are we going to see Tanner Rainey get some closeout opportunities as the season winds down here? And the answer certainly appears to be yes, because Rainey got the chance in this game. Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth despite giving up a one-out single by Elias Diaz, issuing a two-out wild pitch and issuing a two-out six-pitch walk of pinch hitter Colton Welker. So, you know, Finnegan has had some issues here lately. But then Rainey comes on to the game, and Rainey actually does give up a run in the ninth inning. He gets the save, but does give up a run in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, issues a two-out, nine-pitch walk of Trevor Story, whom Rainey had down in the count at 1.02, followed by a two-out RBI double by C.J. Crone. But Rainey did close out the game. Uh, Tanner Rainey is a guy who, since he was brought back up from AAA Rochester, has overall looked sharp. And remember, Tanner Rainey's season was a wreck for a while. So the Nats on September 18th recalled Rainey from Rochester off having optioned him to Rochester on August 1st. He spent more than a month and a half at the AAA level. At the time of the demotion, Tanner Rainey, over 25 innings this season at the Major League level, had an ERA of 720, had a whip of 176, and had given up five home runs. He's been a much different and much better pitcher since being brought back up to the majors. I know he gave up the run on Monday night, but uh, overall, I think if you're a Nats fan, you do like where Tanner Rainey is at, and you certainly like the performance by the Nats bullpen at the Rockies on Monday night. In terms of the Nats batting in this 5-4 win at the Rockies on Monday night, Nats had five runs on 11 hits and three walks. Uh, No home runs. In fact, there were no homers in this game uh, by either team. A lot of singles, though, in the game. And speaking of singles, we had three singles from Alcides Escobar, who had a really good game for the Nationals on Monday night. Three for five with an RBI single and two other singles. And he made a big defensive play. Uh, Escobar in the Nats three-run fourth had a leadoff full count infield single on a slow roller to Rockies third baseman Ryan McMahon to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance in which Escobar was down in the count at 1.02. This was such a vintage Alcides Escobar plate appearance. Down in the count, either 0-2 or 1-2, is able to work the count to where he can do something productive with the count. And the productive thing that he does ends up being something like an infield single. You know, like Alcides Escobar doesn't always square up the baseball, okay? He's not always uh, sending lasers off the outfield wall, but he gets hits and he got a hit in that spot. Then Escobar in the Nats one run fifth had an opposite field single to right center field. Then Escobar in the Nats one run ninth had a bases loaded RBI single to left field 
for a 5-3 Nats lead on a 1-2 pitch. Another example of Alcides Escobar turning water into wine in terms of being down in account 0-2-1-2 and turning the plate appearance into a productive one. And Alcides Escobar made a big defensive play for the final out in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, runners on first and second, two outs. Nats nursing a 4-3 lead. Escobar made a nice backhanded stab and then a great throw across his body to get the speedy Rymel Tapia on a ground out for the third out. So really nice game for Alcides Escobar. Uh, Juan Soto got on base two more times in this game, one for four with a single, a walk, and an RBI. Soto in the top of the first had a two-out single into center field. Soto in the Nats one-run fifth grounded into an RBI force out. Soto in the top of the seventh drew a two-out seven-pitch walk. So some of your updated numbers for Juan Soto as the National League MVP candidacy continues. His major league leading on-base percentage is at 471. His major league leading walks total is at 139. And the batting average, if you care about batting average, I personally don't, but I know plenty of people do, uh, 321. So that's good for number two in the majors behind the 322 batting average of uh, the ex-Nat, the current Los Angeles Dodgers second baseman slash shortstop, Trey Turner. Yeah, in case you don't know, Trey has been playing second base primarily, uh, not shortstop for the Dodgers. Uh, Lane Thomas had a good game for the Nats on Monday night, two for five with a double and a single. Thomas in the Nats one run fifth, a leadoff double to left center field. Thomas in the Nats one run ninth, a bloop single to center field to load the bases. So Lane Thomas now over 182 plate appearances at the major league level with the Nats. Batting average of 287, on base percentage of 379, slugging percentage of 522. He has been so good. He has been the best of the bunch in terms of the guys acquired in the late July sell-off, at least so far. I mean, it's not supposed to be that way. Either Josiah Gray or Kbert Ruiz is supposed to end up being the best of the bunch. But right now, if you're being fair about things, nobody has been more productive than Lane Thomas. He's done such a good job as the Nationals every game starting center fielder at number one batter. Uh, interesting game for Luis Garcia on Monday night. Two for four, had a two-run single and another single, but he also had a really bad throwing error. Uh, Garcia in the Nats three-run fourth had a one-out bases-loaded two-run single into right field for a 3 nothing Nats lead. Love that. Garcia in the top of the six had a one-out single to right field like that. But Garcia committed one of the worst throwing errors that you'll ever see. Uh, Luis Garcia fielded a Sam Hilliard grounder that was hit directly to Garcia in the shift on the outfield grass in right field to begin the bottom of the fifth. And then Garcia made one of the worst throws you'll ever see. Like the throw was nowhere near Josh Bell. Uh, Luis Garcia was way too casual. He got lazy on the throw and he ended up making a terrible throw. And this is one of the things with Luis Garcia that is still an issue. He is extremely gifted. He is becoming better as a batter. He is incredibly athletic to where he can make the spectacular defensive play, but he can kind of zone out and be out to lunch and fail on the routine play. And you saw that in that spot. And Davey Martinez was not happy with Luis Garcia, uh, nor should Davey Martinez have been happy uh, with Luis Garcia. Now, Luis Garcia is really young, you know, so there is wiggle room here. Like, I think with Luis Garcia, you have to always remind yourself the guy is in just his age 21 season. So there is some room that you give the guy. You know, there is a leash that Luis Garcia has that has some length to it, okay? You're not going to expect him to behave like Ryan Zimmerman all of a sudden. At the same time, that throwing error was pretty inexcusable, okay? Like, that is just an error of laziness. That is just an error of, you know, I don't need to rush this because the ball was hit right to me. And it's like, no, first of all, you should 
maybe not rush it, but you should be smart about things. But second of all, make a proper throw. Uh, I mentioned Kbert Ruiz. He went 0 for 3 on Monday night, but he did have a good looking bases loaded walk. Uh, Ruiz in the Nats three run fourth, drawing a one out bases loaded eight pitch walk for a one nothing Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at one point 0 2. Although Ruiz did get thrown out at third base on the Luis Garcia one out bases loaded two run single into right for the three nothing Nats lead. And Carter Keboom got on base two times on Monday night, one for three with a single and an intentional walk. The single coming in the Nats one run ninth, a leadoff opposite field single to right field. Game two at the Rockies Tuesday night at 8:40. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. There is something very appropriate about this. Patrick Corbin, who has had a horrendous season is potentially making the final start of his season. And that final start is happening where pitchers go to get shellacked. Coors Field in Denver. Now, as bad as Corbin has been this season, and he has been bad, ERA of 592, worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors by miles. He has been good in three of his last four outings. So if Patrick Corbin can pass this test, again, an outing at Coors Field where pitchers go to get shellacked, that actually would be a nice way for Patrick Corbin to end this no good, very bad season. If he he can end this season four good outings over his last five starts with an outing at Coors Field that's good, that's not bad, all things considered. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 155, will feature a special guest, former Washington tight end, Logan Paulson. Yeah, Logan came on the podcast back in May. He is a voracious consumer of X's and O's, watches a lot of tape, has a lot of good stuff on his Instagram. You can follow Logan on the gram, Logan underscore Paulson 82. But very excited to get Logan Paulson's takes on the Washington football team's defense. Uh, Taylor Heineke, Washington's offensive line, another Washington tight end named Logan, Logan Thomas, and much more. If you have specific questions that you want me to ask Logan Paulson, let me know. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. We talk about all the time about breaking records and stuff like that. I personally wanted to go get the the combined sack record that the uh, the guys got back before us. So, yeah, we talk about it all the time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.